Hello and welcome to Lawyerish, a podcast for the people. Lawyerish is a safe space to learn, grow, inspire, and be inspired. So come along and ride on this fantastic voyage. Come, let us go be great together. I'm Brandon J. Wallace Esquire, and I'll be your captain. It's a whole vibe, and I sure am glad you're here. Lawyerish is brought to you by Apex, where aptitude meets excellence. And our voyage vibe today is brought to us by the late great Prince. I want to be your lover. It's off his 1979 album, Prince. And a little fun fact, this was his first major hit single in the U.S. Hit number 11 on the Billboard Hot 100. Rest in peace, Prince. You're certainly missed. Let's get right into Duly Noted. All right, friends, it's time for Duly Noted. Now, we've been on break for a couple of weeks, and gosh, there has been a lot of news in the meantime, so much that we could talk about, including uh, Miss Katanji Brown-Jackson, who was nominated by President Biden to uh, be on the Supreme Court. I'm super excited about that. I absolutely love her. Can't wait to see her hearings. Um... But we'll talk more about that later in a later episode, particularly once the hearings start. We're excited about that. We can also talk about these crazy, crazy gas prices and how much it's costing me to just fill up my little Honda. My goodness, it's a shame. But we'll pass on that for now. Hopefully that's a fleeting matter that won't last too long. Hint, 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 President Biden. Today, I'd like to talk about the escalating war in Ukraine. Now, we've seen, for those who don't know, let me just say this, for those who don't know, uh, the country of Russia has invaded the country of Ukraine. What a problem that is. (laughs) In violation of international law and against UN charters and treaties, this unprovoked invasion of Ukraine by uh, Russia has sparked and galvanized, has sparked concern and galvanized uh, the world against Russia. Lots of companies are uh, departing. Uh, There are financial sanctions uh, being imposed uh, by the U.S. and uh, the European Union and other allies. And it looks like things uh, there will be more punishments uh, and sanctions to come, including uh, sanctioning uh, the wealthiest Russians, freezing their accounts. Uh, the list goes on and on and continues. You know, it's a shame, I'll be honest with you, what's going on in Ukraine. I feel bad, um, certainly for the people of Ukraine, the people who have had to flee their homes, Uh, the men and women who have stayed to fight, uh, and uh, to the leadership of the country who who have really uh, worked together to stay strong and to to launch a a public relations offensive. Uh, Certainly very uh, impressive uh, and good for them. I think uh, many people have said, we are all Ukrainians. Well, I get that, um, and I certainly, um, I certainly support that energy. As a black man in America, though, I gotta admit that when I think about 
these sorts of things uh, and how we've got galvanized, how the country has united around supporting Ukraine. My first thought is keep that same energy. We need to keep this same energy. Like how we have come together as a nation to uh, rally behind Ukraine. We've uh, passed funding bills. Uh, everyone is is uh, uniting to, to tell the truth, right? To fact check, uh, to, to counter the narrative of the Russian uh, leadership uh, in Putin, uh, who is spreading lies about Ukraine and uh, spreading lies about what's happening on the ground. At least, you know, that's uh, that's what's being argued. Um, the world, other countries, the UN, um, our, the U.S. leadership, um, most everyone has uh, gathered around or united around uh, the truth, right? Been able to find facts, right, and put the facts out there to counter uh, the the lies and, and misinformation and fake fake news that's coming out of Russia. And again, I like it. I support it. I think it's great. That's what we need. But we need that here at home too. We need that same energy, that same. Uh, zeal for justice, that same search for truth, we need that on display here in, in the U.S., in the States. That same uh, sort of uh, fire to protect human life and to protect um, the innocent. We need that same in energy here. All too often I see that, um, we see that here, uh, where we can unite around a cause or a war like the one in Ukraine, uh, and and we hear pundits and we hear uh, political leaders talk about um, how we have to protect uh, you know innocent life and and we have to stand up uh, to bullies and and we have to um, we have to protect or defend democracy. All those things I agree with. But it's a hard pill to swallow when we say we have to protect democracy and defend truth abroad when we won't do it in our own house. We got to do better. Actually, what we got to do is keep that same energy. In the meantime, that's what's going on. We're praying for the people of Ukraine, praying for our nation. Um, we need it. Let's keep that same energy, America. If we're going to defend, defend truth and justice abroad, you better damn well believe we need to defend truth and justice here at home. Anyway, that's just my two cents, and that's duly noted. Friends, welcome back. It's time now for Lawyerish, and I am super, super excited to have my good friend and colleague, Miss Jen Laskin, uh, on the show today. Jen, thank you so much for doing the show, for making the time. I really, really appreciate it. I appreciate you, Brandon. Thank you. Uh, friends, Jen is an attorney, advocate, and a full-time high school teacher. She coordinates a high school justice and uh, justice law and society program in Montgomery County, Maryland. 
She also creates a legal education content on TikTok at JennyJustice55 and on Instagram at Jenny, Jen Laskin underscore legal. A focus of her practice is providing free or low-cost legal services to her community-based referrals. She maintains a growing client base, including private businesses, CEOs, 1099 contractors, and nonprofit uh, organizations. Awesome work, Jen. You've been, been doing this for a while. Uh, I've seen all your things on, on TikTok and on Instagram. It's super impressive. What's your inspiration? How do you how do you do all this? What inspires you to do what you do? Uh, what inspires me to do what I do is uh, my community, uh, sharing information with people, um, and kids. You know, youth, youth who uh, who inspire me to become a lawyer. I, w- I was a teacher before law school. I went back to law school late in life at thirty eight. I wasn't the youngest. I wasn't the oldest in the class, as you know, you were there. Same, yeah. But, um, Same, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But um, I, was, I had been teaching in California and teaching a lot of kids impacted by gang activity, but also impacted by the criminalization of youth and the school-to-prison pipeline. So I was inspired to get into law, and I'm inspired to do the work that I do by those students and watching people at no fault of theirs be criminalized in the worst ways winding up in prison for decades and sometimes life and beyond um, at a very young age. And that just didn't ever sit well with me. And so because I was teaching those kids, knowing the families, I speak Spanish, which I recommend to anybody listening, learn a second language. It's never too late. I learned Spanish at 22. I'm still working on it, but becoming conversational in another language has helped my personal development and my business development beyond And, um, so what inspires me is, you know, truth and justice. It sounds hokey, but it's the fact, you know, and then I, I managed to, uh, stay true to that, you know? Um, so, so is that why you went to law school? Cause you were teaching in California, you were doing fine. I imagine, right. Uh, making decent money as a, as a teacher, not, not wealthy, but, um, <laughs> making, making okay money. Why did you decide to go to law school? Why did you decide to stop teaching and go to law school? Because, um, uh, again, watching my students just go to prison under 186.22, the gang enhancement, California law, uh, that made me go to law school. Doing more, I started doing more advocacy for the kids and with their families. I started getting more involved in juvenile justice work in California, the Books Not Bars campaign, for example, through mm-hmm. the Ella Baker Center for Human Rights. I was part of a movement to shut down youth prisons. I was part of a movement to end the charging of children as adults. I was part of a movement to end the death penalty for children. I mean, when I came up in juvenile justice and was working through all those, uh, that was the same time that Brian Stevenson was bringing all those cases to court. That has now changed the way we sentence children. You know, I was just starting before the court said children, um, you know, develop uh, don't don't fully develop their brains until they're 25. So we shouldn't treat them the same way in court. That didn't exist when I first came into the movement. I saw kids being treated horrifically by the criminal justice system because of who they hung out with, what tattoos they had, what they wore, how they acted. They didn't have the maturity to really comprehend the gravity of what they were doing, which is kids 
being kids, yeah. right? And um, making stupid so mistakes, right? Stupid That's normal. Right? That's right. normal. Doing silly things, wrong place, wrong time, all of it. And some were truly, now I've worked with some kids who you wouldn't want anywhere near your daughter. <laughs> I mean, there's a, I'm not, a, a, you know, an ex- making excuses or like poor babies just give them a snack. But, you know, I am about kind of the, looking at the way the system is treated particular groups of children for a long time. And so, um, so that's really what drove me to law school. I was also doing union work. So I was a California Federation of Teachers uh, political director. I was an organizer with the union. I was I had marched across the state of California for two months. I walked from Bakersfield to Sacramento uh, doing like all kinds of uh, work, uh, literally walked the whole time uh, to raise awareness, to fund education and stuff like that. So through union work and through doing teacher defense and working on teachers' rights, becoming a grievance officer, I was in the room with a lot of lawyers. And I was like, these people aren't that smart. These people aren't that smart. Like, I can do it, you know? And then, yeah, and then I was becoming disillusioned with the education system. It's very different in California than here in Maryland. I am blessed in Montgomery County, Maryland. I'll put it on the record. If you have children in Montgomery County public schools, you are in a good place with your public school system. You know, every place has their flaws. Nothing's, no system is perfect, but MCPS is an outstanding school district. So California wasn't bad. So I needed another option. I wanted to do something else. And the bottom, bottom line, Brandon, I wanted another tool in my activist toolbox. I wanted to be able to sue people. I wanted that threat of a lawsuit, which is why it was very important to me to pass the bar. I was not just going to go to law school and do advocacy or policy work on Capitol Hill. I really needed that bar license so that I could at least say, I'll see you in court if that's where we need to go. So it was, it was to be a better advocate for kids. I just wanted to be a better advocate for kids. And it led to here. But that I didn't even know what the bar exam was when I started. Yeah, well, I, you know, that's so interesting. I want to I want to unpack the fact that you're a, a teacher and kind of talk about that experience as a, as a teacher and a lawyer. But I think you're so right. And that's that's uh, about the sort of bar exam and sort of the 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 myth of what it's like to be a lawyer and what it takes. Right. As part of the reason for this podcast is. Uh, is to educate folks about that. And we, we talk to, uh, I think I hear a lot from law students who listen and uh, they're hearing us and they, they're appreciative of the fact that, you know, they get a, a perspective that uh, that you and I probably didn't have before going to law school, right? Um, but let's, uh, you're a full-time teacher and it, we don't often hear that much, right? We hear folks going to law school and being lawyers, right? But I think it's always important for folks to know that you could have a law degree and don't necessarily have to practice law. You can use it in many different ways. Um, you, you decided to go back into the classroom. Can you talk to us a little bit about sort of uh, what that's like and maybe why you decided to, to do that? And how do you balance sort of the, the teaching and, and, and the practice of law that you that you do? I didn't expect to go back in the classroom. I wasn't really seeking a teaching job, but um, I did do two years as the educational advocate with the Maryland Office of the Public Defender after law school, which was a fellowship. I did not want to go into criminal defense, um, not even a little. I did not want to go into education law. I can do it. I'm really good at it, but I didn't want to do special ed advocacy or anything in education law. I just wasn't feeling that. So um, I was basically recruited to teach in the school district. I mean, I was, I had been doing some subbing while I've been studying for the bar and then realized that 
um, I could accept this job I was being offered, teach in this amazing school district, um, get this law program was in the school I was going into. So I thought, yes, I can build my networks uh, that I build in the legal community in this region, bring it to the students. And I was just like a fish back in water when I got back to the classroom. And because I'm not a new teacher, I wasn't stressed. The first three years of teaching are very hard. But I had been through that. I have teaching chops. I'm a veteran teacher. I had skills. I had great teacher uh, advisors and trainers when I was a new teacher in my first five years. So when I got back to the classroom, I, I, my classroom management wasn't an issue. You know, there weren't issues. So I was able to kind of walk out the door at three every day, but also slowly but surely in the summers and after school goes to your question, how do I also do a law practice? I just did whatever law I could as it came to me. Um, and slowly but surely through through working in the summers, through doing a little bit here and there after school, um, just paying attention. I always built my um, my own hustle. So if I wasn't practicing law, quote unquote, I was doing like webinars on student loan awareness. You know, I was doing um, courses on financial literacy, you know, for people. And because I have the law degree, um, my webinars and my my information is taken a little bit more like seriously and so it's not just somebody telling you what to do with your student loans but i could actually really get into some nuts and bolts of how to manage some of the issues that that was another issue that kind of brought me into law by the way was like the student loan debt crisis and i had so many friends who were in the weeds with their student loans and didn't realize there was like no literacy i mean brandon i know lawyers who are running national organizations who are calling me embarrassed because there's this denial that goes into it. $350,000 of student loan debt. I don't even know where the loans are right now. I like, and people you would not imagine, but the student loan thing is so easy for people to put in the back of their head. And they were very professional people that once your wages are garnished, you have a lot to lose. So my, my thing became trying to keep you out of garnishment Let's get literate. Let's fix this before, you know, while you still have control. So those, I just got in where I fit in, you know, and then slowly I was able to build the law practice. I did a lot of immigration work for two years with children, special immigrant juvenile status is a particular type of visa that I got really good at. Um, So I just, again, like built my, my niches where I could. And then once the quarantine hit and like two years ago this week, actually my school shut down. I was home teaching for two years almost. And that enabled me to build my law practice because my law practice had always been online. And I started doing the Jenny Justice uh, videos and building myself as a TikTok lawyer. Believe it or not, TikTok lawyers, it's like a thing. There's actually tons of lawyers on TikTok now. And through the TikTok lawyers, I've met like-minded lawyers like me, people who are a little bit non-conventional, who, you know, don't mind being on social media with the law. Um, I had a lot of lawyers criticize, not criticize, but like question, like, what was I doing on TikTok with the law? You have to be so careful about getting sued. Oh my God, what kind of, what kind of confidentiality are you? Like, they didn't even know what I was doing, but immediately all these red flags went up when... (laughs) when lawyers heard you're doing legal content on social media, you know, like it's not advice. These aren't my clients. I can share legal information any day of the week. 
but and but but it was like a a, a mental block that a lot of traditional attorneys. Yeah, that's. Had. I was just about to say that the the whenever we're uh, we're sort of have been and are in this space where we're uh, where there's like a sea change, right? Where you know we're working to bring the law to people who usually think uh, the law is a luxury, and it's not a it's not a luxury. It's a necessity. You need this stuff. It's 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 wrapped in your everyday life. It the the law is is here. It's now, uh, and it's important and relevant to to everyone. Um, and, uh, you know, when folks like us are operating outside of that traditional structure of how we provide law and provide service and, and bring information to the public, you know, the, the establishment gets a little, <laughs> a little nervous about that. Yeah, they do. Yeah, yeah you get a little do. razzled. That's why I love what you're doing. I love lawyerish. Thanks. I just love the title of your show Thanks. because... <laughs> It's a changing profession. And, you know, again, now that we have our licenses, right, and the authority or the agency to speak and be heard, you know, we can change it however we want. It's our profession. So now. true. That, I love that. <laughs> You've always been very sort of, uh, uh, you know, like, I don't know, I want to radical is not the right word. You're very much like very like a military like you're like you know let's take it you know you are a fighter i love that i love that about you thank you i take that as absolutely <laughs> absolutely so uh let's get into a little bit actually what i really wanted to unpack what can you and we didn't talk about this before you were talking about the student loan things and i know a lot of my listeners are 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 uh, focused on that and hopefully we can get them uh, forgiven that's that's what the everybody really wants uh, but what can you share a little nugget of knowledge for somebody who is concerned about student loans what, what do you what do you share with people uh, or, or what maybe a warning or I, I don't know what can you share what well, can you okay share? so somebody who's already in the debt or somebody who's going in maybe a little bit of both why don't you talk to both of them quickly Sure. So for my, you know, I, again, I teach high school. I also teach at Montgomery College Paralegal Studies program. So through both of those programs, Paralegal Studies and High School Law and Justice, these are a lot of my students are people who are very conscious about not going into crazy debt for their legal career. So I just say to them, do your research. You have to plan to do your research and plan your legal career path and your educational path. Don't knock state schools don't knock doing a paralegal studies program and working while you're in law school um you don't have to go to harvard georgetown yale you don't have to go to undergrad i do a lot of undergrad that is harvard yale brown you know so one thing i do a lot of consultations with families whose kid got into the quote unquote i've heard this so much dream school it's my dream school. And the parents consult me and bring me in to have a meeting where the parents are trying to figure out how to pay for the $60,000 a year school their child's dreaming of. And the child's insisting that this is the only option for them. But we have to all have a conversation about this is just undergrad. Your parents can't afford this or they can afford it, but they're going to be in debt for the rest of their life. So many parents now sacrifice their retirement for their children's education. And I deal with a lot of teachers who could qualify for public service loan forgiveness for their children's loans, but their children won't graduate from college in enough time. Like the parents want to retire before the kids even going to be done school. So the parents are like, 
five years from retirement and the kids just starting college because parents, you know, teachers can retire at 55. It's a real, puts a real damper on your financial planning when you have to navigate retiring versus paying for my children's college. So on the front end, research, do the public university, public funded state school route, community college for two years and then go to the four year. All of that stuff is real good and legit. Um, not absolutely. And what about on the back end? So, and what about on the back end? On the back end, don't go into denial. A lot of people we were talking earlier go into denial. They start ignoring the statements. They don't even know where their loans are originating anymore. They've moved so many times since college or law school that the bills have stopped coming and they just forgot about it because our debt is the easiest thing yeah. to forget. And yeah. there's data over 60% of graduate students in America are depressed because of their student loan debt. And I think that if you're on that end of things where you have the debt, A, you have to get it under control. You have to just pull out all the bills. You have to find out the origination of every single loan and get on the phone and call the provider and just get on some kind of plan, whether that's forbearance, whether you're paying $5 a month, whether you're income-based, but don't let your loans default because, especially if they're private, but you don't want any loan to default because you never want student loans to get to your wage garnishment. You don't ever want your wages garnished because then they decide how much you're paying and it's automatically coming out of yeah, your paycheck. Honey, and that is honey, like- not good. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Right. You yeah. don't want Agreed. that. So sometimes you just have to, like I tell people, take, get a folder. I made a little video about it. <laughs> get a folder, write student loans on the outside of the folder, start putting all the papers in, and then just start calling one day and be like, okay, I have to start dealing with this. And you make a chart. So let it literacy. Yeah. You know, you have to be literate about yeah. your own situation. That's good counsel. Public That's service counsel. loan forgiveness. Yeah, is one thing. We can talk about that. That's a whole nother yeah. show. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then if you're really in the weeds, I can say there is one student loan lawyer in the country who I absolutely respect. His name is Jay, um, Jay Fleischman. And he's Money Wise, Money Wise okay. Law. And I don't usually okay. shout out people, but I'll shout out Money Wise Law, Money Wise Lawyer. He's on TikTok. Because sometimes you're just so far in the weeds. Like if you're a little older and you still have all this debt and you got kids' debts, if you're at that place, you might need a lawyer to talk about bankruptcy, to talk about how to defer the loans long enough that you'll never, ever have to pay them. There's so many tricks that go into student loan like workouts, right? What we call them bankruptcy law workout. Um, it's, it's, it's intense, but you need somebody who really knows student loans to okay. do it. So that's okay. where, you know, if you're on that end of things, get help. All right. Like don't, All right. don't, don't, and don't ignore it. Right. That's the, that's really great counsel. Now I'm running out of time here. So I want to make sure I get to my two favorite questions. Uh, uh, the first one, uh, we, we like to hear about your experience, like either your best experience, uh, that was like a highlight of your practice or your worst experience that was like, oh, I've got to, I've got to refocus and recenter. Um, which, which one of those would you like to answer, or both? Uh, it's up to you. Uh, but we we want to hear from you I'll on that. Both. We want to hear from you on that. I'll do both quickly. So my number one experience is just winning my custody hearings. I was very new in court. I did not know what I was doing. I was so scared to be in court. I don't think fast on my feet. I don't litigate. That's why. 
but I started doing custody for purposes of immigration. So what you're doing is you're getting these kids custody and then they can apply for a green card and then they're here for life until they choose to go back to their home country, which many of them might, that's often a question they ask when going to go home, but it's their kids. Fine. But so winning those custody hearings, especially the, the first one I had my lawyer with me, the second one, he was supposed to be with me, but he called me and was like, I can't make it. You'll be fine handle it. So whenever the, I love hearing the judge say granted when they're, they, when they're hearing the judge read the order into the record that like custody has been granted and all the factors. And it's just the way I wrote it. Those are by far the best times. And then my students always, anytime they're inspired by the law, we just have such a, I just have such a good time. I really try and spend as much time as possible with people under 20. That is why I will not leave the classroom. Even if my law practice grows I'll take my time in the classroom down, but I'll remain in the classroom at least for another yeah, 10 okay. years. So yeah, okay. those are the, those are the highlights, you know, when my law affects the people who inspired me to go to law school, which is really the children and oppressed people. Um, I have a couple worse experiences. Pick one. You say I'm Pick militant, one. I'm radical, I'm crazy. So sometimes things come out of my mouth that like, <laughs> that sound bad. So I have a couple experiences that deal with ethics. And I think that's a really important thing to think about because I'd say I have very questionable ethics because my background is so activist oriented. I'll figure it out. I'm like, ethics come later because what comes first is justice, yeah. you know, and what, yeah. by any means necessary. I am a Malcolm X girl and 100%. So like whatever it takes, I will try it and I'll take the heat later. And so I have in law school, I, in the housing clinic, I was with my clients. They were a tenant association. Um, I didn't know anything about ethics. This was a bad experience. Uh, we were in a meeting, uh, the clients left. I saw the owner of the apartment building across the room who we were fighting against for like years. I went and talked directly to her and was like, let's try and work this out. What if we do this? What if we do this? And she was like, I've been saying that for years. No, and I'm like, well, I just solved 10 years of litigation. I remember emailing Dr. Professor Allen and I'm like, I talked to the XYZ. He's like, you need to come see me tomorrow morning, 8 a.m. He's there. The clinical director's there. They're like, you need to write a letter today apologizing. And I'm like, why? I had no idea that you're not allowed to talk to people who are represented. That's right. Counsel. Yeah, that's a. That's right. I'm like, but I solved the whole case. They were like, you better write that letter in about 15 yeah. minutes and email it because yeah. you're about to. So that was humbling, horrifying. But like, I was just like, who do I write the letter yeah, to? Right, because you just got to do, right. do it. You just got to do it. I ate it. So that was who one thing. Then as the letter? Lawyer, who did you have to write the letter to? To the counsel okay. of the opposing, yeah. of the, okay. yeah. yeah, I had to apologize to their counsel for talking to their client without them sure. present. That was okay. what I had to do. I had no idea. Here, there we go. Yeah. Now I know. So yeah. that humbling. Then as a lawyer, I was I work in business law. It's one of my favorite kinds of law, and it's a different culture. It's more conservative. It's you know not a lot of radical in business law. I see my CEOs as entrepreneurs and artists. I do. I see business people as creating a vision, you know, that, so I managed somehow, I think the Aquarian, my Aquarian mind just sees business people as artists. It works. And, um, I had a question 
that I put out to my law listserv. So one thing about law, anybody who's listening, it is very collaborative and you should use the collaboration to your advantage because lawyers, much as much as teachers, like to collaborate and help each other. So I put a question out to the business lawyer listserv at the Bar Association of Maryland. 3,000 lawyers get the email and I had some questions. I don't know what I'm talking about. I just had a lot of questions and they were all embedded in this email. And a lawyer responded to everybody and said, this person is spamming us. She's not a real lawyer because she obviously doesn't know what she's talking about because her email is so confusing and whatever. She just insulted my writing, insulted my question, insulted me, told the entire listserv that I was not a real lawyer. I was a hacker and to not respond to me. And, And my name was on the email and my website, like everything. And I was like, oh my God. So that was embarrassing. I got a call from the head of this section. He had to vet vet me and make sure that I really was a lawyer, that I really was a member of the, like all of that. And you know what? Not a problem. I, I, I dealt with it. It was humiliating. I wrote to her privately and was like, you know me. Cause that's the thing too. She had talked to wow. me. She knew wow. me. And for some reason she just wrote that. And I said, could you please write a correction? No. She's like, you did that. You wrote that email. I'm not wow. fine. So I just moved on. I didn't write, I might've written a short response to, but whatever. I ate the humble pie. I now I'm very careful when I write, I re, re, read, read, proofread everything. Fine. But that was a very horrifying experience. And I guess the, uh, the, the third hard experience as a lawyer. I'm sorry. I got to stop you. I've got to stop you because I want to get to my, my last question and we are over time already. So I've got to stop you. I apologize. Uh, you'll come back on. We'll do a live together and we can talk about that. The last question, uh, any advice to other lawyers? And you're probably, you're right in it. Maybe you can loop that in. But any advice to other lawyers or maybe your younger self, uh, if you can answer and tell their story that in the same breath, that might, that might work. But we only got about a minute. Collaboration. I think collaboration, learn from each other, learn from other lawyers. Don't discount people who aren't lawyers. Mm-hmm you know, listen to your clients. You'll learn a lot from people. Um, and always, I think as a lawyer, if I'm giving advice, be ready to shut it down. Don't be afraid to say, thank you very much. Okay. That sounds good. Like learn how to back out. Cause I do a lot of, if you do a lot of consultations, people ask you a lot of questions, learn how to back out and honor your own time. I love that. I think that's the biggest takeaway. That is huge. Okay. Thank you so much, Jen. I really appreciate you doing this show. There's so much to unpack. There's so much knowledge. We have to have you back on. I'd love to have you on our roundtable and answer some questions from the public if you'll think about it. Uh, We'll chat about that at some point. But thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you. I'm a big fan of yours. Keep doing what you're doing. Thank you, Brandon. Hang tight, friends. We'll be right back. All right, friends, welcome back. It's now time for our wellness check. And this week, I'm going to pick back up on our previous discussions of what of my formula for success. If you recall, I said uh, it involves uh, punishing the body, nourishing the soul, and challenging the mind. We've already talked about nourishing the, the soul, and I'm hopeful that we are regularly practicing um regularly practicing nourishing our soul, uh, getting our soul nourished, if you will. Uh, We'll still talk about punish the body. I want to make you wait on that one just a little bit. (laughs) Uh, And so today, uh, we're going to address what it means to challenge the mind and why it's important. As living beings, it is so important for us to be lifelong students of life. 
and so to be well, we must never stop learning because life never stops teaching. Commit yourself to learning something new every day. I can't tell you how many people I meet on a day-to-day -day basis in my interactions and in my practice who are closed off to learning new cultures, to trying new foods, exploring different ideas or technologies and the like. Uh, they are usually, believe it or not, some of the smartest people that you will ever meet. I often wonder and think to myself, do they think they know it all? <laughs> all too often, though, that is not the case. Um, what it is is they are often stuck or paralyzed by the fear of change. Now, this is obviously a recipe for disaster because we know one thing for certain and two things for sure. Change is coming whether we like it or not. And so we must learn to embrace change. And we can start by committing to learning something new every day. Keep your mind active by feeding it new information and challenging yourself to be better than yesterday in even the slightest way. Remember, if we're not learning, we're not growing. And anything not growing, friends, well, it's dead. So, that's it for, for this week. It's been your wellness check. We'll be right back. All right, friends, welcome back. It is now time for our Apex Highlight segment. I am super excited to have my friend, my very first Howard University friend and longtime colleague, Miss Jennifer D. Howes-Owens. Jennifer, thank you so much for being here. Welcome to, to Lawyerish. Thank you. So happy to be here. Friends, if you don't know, about Jennifer Owens. First of all, you're tripping. Secondly, just know that she realized her passion for education when working uh, with middle age, middle school age students in college. After graduate school, she started working with standardized testing and really enjoyed using data analytics to help improve scores and close testing gaps. Currently, Dr. Howes Owens is an assistant professor of instructional design in the California Community College System where she supports faculty with course redesign and equitable teaching strategies across all teaching modalities. She received her BA, uh, Bachelor's of Arts in Communications and Culture from Howard University. She got a Master's in education, Educational Policy and Social Analysis from Columbia University. And she's got her EDD in Educational Psychology and Technology from the Chicago School of Professional Psychology. She got that into 2021. That girl's smart, y'all. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here, Jennifer. I am so pleased. I really am excited to have you here. I appreciate it a lot. Thank you. Thank um, you. So happy to be here with you. Excellent. Uh, so look, what was all that that I just read about teaching <laughs> modalities and all that? What, what is it that you do? Tell us, tell the people what's up. <laughs> Sure, absolutely. So um, it, it's so relevant right now, but basically broken down, it means that prior to um, the pandemic, March, you know, 2020, people were mostly majority teaching in person. That is a modality. However, what we have seen is because of the pandemic, everyone needed tr to transition to the online modality. Um, I was in that space earlier in 2016, 2017. And so I was very interested. I started to see that in California, our, our K through 12 standardized testing was going fully online. And I said, this is going to be something, you know, in a few years, people would laugh when I said, this is what I want to do. They would say, you know, online education is low quality. It's poor. 
But then the pandemic happened and everybody needed help from those of us who had studied this, you know, kind of unknown in some spaces, online education space. And so that is how um, we went from the in-person modality to online. And then, of course, there are so many in between. Yeah. And so have you been have you found yourself in demand quite a bit since the since the pandemic? Yes, I have had three jobs in three years, not because, you know, I was laid off or anything. Yeah, not because you're not the ish. So okay. Many, <laughs> right. Because so many budgets opened. At my mm. current job and my last job, they had a budget for one instructional designer. They ended up hiring two, mm. both positions, because there's such a need. Faculty um, need help. Um, they, I'm a non-instructional faculty, so that means my time is not spent in the classroom. My time is open to helping my peer faculty answer these questions. They're the experts in their field. African American studies, chemistry, I, I'm not. However, I have the expertise in the art, we'll call the art of teaching. Mm. The, the education word is pedagogy, the art, the style of teaching. And so we have to work together in order for, you know, the best student outcome. And so um, it honestly... Um, the floodgates are open for expertise in technology and education. Yeah, and I think it's so important too. Obviously, we there was a there's a huge need for it. Do you think you know we're sort of transitioning back to where things are opening back up again? Do you think you know that there's still the space for for what you do, and what do you think that looks like? Absolutely. So um, my job is to help faculty reflect or and K through this would be you know K through 12 teachers reflect and the first thing we ask them is what worked really well for your personal life your schedule while you were at home and what might you keep if you had a whole spend a whole bunch of time recording videos we're not asking you now to throw away all these hours of videos that you recorded uh. to you know help students learn how can you maybe incorporate that into what you already have you know whether it's kind of a library a video library or you know replace a lecture you know with video content and then let the students come and ask you questions, you know, so it's like, let's hmm. rethink it. And so really, we have had so many iterations, <laughs> really, in the last few years, yeah. we've gone from everybody online, then the shift to maybe some online, some not, and now we're coming back. But it's each time, ask yourself first, what do you want to keep? Um, and that worked for you? You don't want to feel like you lost all this time that you spent hourless nights, and then let's figure it out. Yeah, and I, I think, uh, you know, we also have to be prepared that we could go back again. I mean, knock on wood, we 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 won't have to do that. But I mean, in that case, and that let's say the schools, a lot of schools like have to be shut down again. Like we would still. That's why it would make sense to have done this reflection and and sort of done this honing that you're that you're talking about as well. Absolutely, and in a, in my district where I work um, with my students, when given a choice, students are still selecting online. Hmm. And so um, even if, let's say, the, the campus is trying to go back in person, um, if you're offering both modalities, the word we now have in our vocabulary, yes. <laughs> in person or if it's online, for right now where students are, full, some have a full-time job, some need to work to take care of their family, the online option is more convenient for mm -hmm. them um, if, if, if given it. So um, the flexibility is now I think people at least know the basics for, for each. So let me ask you, a, uh, you know, sort of a little bit of a, a technical question, I guess. So you are, you work, you're assistant professor with community colleges in California, right? But you, your focus area, is it still K through 12 uh, teachers? How, how do, who are you, how, how, who's your, your audience, right? How does that work for you? Absolutely. Um, it's, 
my my current well let me, let's I'll separate it a little bit. So having done a doctorate, you're considered kind of an expertise in your subject. My subject that I chose to focus on was faculty, so higher education. So I currently work mostly in the higher education space, but that doesn't negate, you know, all the, the decade I spent working in K through 12. Okay. But for the vast majority, my, my current focus is higher education um, and faculty. K through 12 instructors have a whole separate host of concerns that an expert in that even not even just K through 12, maybe you want to focus just on middle school, you know, that's a very special group separate from high school. Um, so I let them handle, you know, the expertise when it comes to those. Okay. Areas. So you're the big boss, right? I got it. Uh, <laughs> okay. So tell me, how did you get uh, involved in this field? Like what, how did, where did this come from? This is something I, and this is like something I've not never even heard of, right. Other yeah. than if I'm not exposed to you, I've never even heard of it. So how did you come to this uh, to develop, or to choose even to develop this expertise. Yeah, so um, as, as I kind of mentioned in my earlier explanation, I noticed five, seven years ago when California said, this is our last year offering a paper option for our statewide standardized test. It will from now on be fully online. Oh, wow. That means we needed Chromebooks for every student. This was when I was in K through 12. That means you needed Chromebooks for every student to take the California standardized test. That meant teachers, principals, technology people at different school sites needed training. I became um, a trainer of not only the how you help students set up standardized testing, because, you know, we all remember it, pass out the scan, try and get your pencil, <laughs> but it's similar, but different because you have a laptop in yeah. front of you. And so I, I ended up training and I knew that because California is fully switching their statewide tests online, there's something else that's going to come soon. And so this was about 2016, 2017. And so even when I, um, I took, uh, my program was fully online. People are like, mm, you're doing online doctorate. But my program was on technology. That meant we were focusing not only on the current issues, but everything we were doing was learning and testing the technologies that would be popular in a few years. And it just ended up that we were in a pandemic. And so um, those of us who'd been in that space, ended up graduating in a pandemic and my colleagues, my cohort, all of us have had new job opportunities and are asked to do things um, because <laughs> people need and are opening their budgets up for, for um, this. Yeah. For what you, what you offer, what your expertise is, how convenient. Oh, <laughs> uh, you know, I think, uh, I, I think back to that because I, I had really the, the very distinct honor to sit in on your defense for your, for your dissertation so that you could, you know, uh, be, I guess, awarded your, your PhD. And that was such an awesome experience. I don't think I've, I feel like I've done that for a master's uh, sort of, I think, a defense. I sat in on something like that, but not for a PhD. And I felt like it was really eye-opening. Uh, and actually, if you don't mind, I would like to sort of dig into that process a little bit, because uh, a lot of times people, you know, they say, you know, they compare, or I won't say compare, but they uh, equate a JD, which is what I have, a Juris Doctorate, and uh, a PhD or an EDD, which is what you have. You have an EDD, and, and I also they also equate uh, PhD, uh, which is sort of like the some of the higher level uh, degrees that one can have. But I often I often caution people against that because you know with the JD it pretty much there is a, a definite end date right there there's like it's generally three years right if you go part time or something it might be four or five years. But for the for the most part, it starts 
and 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 it ends right once you complete the coursework um, and you pass you know <laughs> uh, that's important but once you pass right it's the, the it's done it's not really the same way for PhD you you could start a PhD and it could be 10 years uh, and you've completed all the coursework and you still don't actually you know get the get get the uh, I don't know the graduation right the the degree or the PhD the doctor in front of your name can you just tell us unpack the process for a little bit for us yeah I'm so glad you said this um, I um, my my parents are both college educated my mom went to law school but the doctoral journey was totally foreign yeah. to them and so they didn't quite understand um, you know what was going on and so yes you're, you're absolutely correct these degrees are all ter what we'll call terminal degrees they're you know the highest you can go in your field however i like to kind of explain to folks that where in law school and in med school for the most part you can have study groups and you can you know have a cohort yeah. you can all kind of help each other through the dissertation writing process aside from the 50 or 60 credits where we all have to take with our cohort at a certain part you depart from them because my interest in writing my dissertation is only mine. The whole, the, the major central question is, what is the area in which there's a gap in research that you are going to dive deep and try and make these connections? There may be some folks in the country and the world who um, may be kind of touching on this, um, but no one is doing exactly yeah. what you're doing. There's no um, a statewide test or bar that you can take to finish. It is all you. So at that point, it is very isolating. Mm -hmm. And I'll add on top of that, I was working full time during this journey. So your full time work, then you, you know, attend class. Um, and so um, that's one of the major differences. Um, of course, you know, you have, you know, for me, I had my Saturday squad. We met Saturday mornings, 9 a.m., rain or shine, no matter what. Um, but that's one of the main big differences. But the last thing I'll say is, um, yes, you you attended my defense, which was the 20 minute summary of a year and a half, 200 pages worth of wow. research. So it, you have to, you have to, you know, funnel that all the way down into the major points. And even though that's a major celebratory moment, then you go to manuscript. That's not even done. I had three more months of work to do to get my manuscript ready to be published as now a published author. Um, and so the, the, the doctoral process is long. Um, it is, you know, lots of late nights only on your own, you know, and no one else, um, can, can, you can't really study and bounce back yeah. and forth, um, with everyone. So. I, I could not imagine. I, I don't know how I could, I wouldn't, I'm glad I didn't go down that journey. Cause that's, this is not for me, <laughs> not for me. Uh, no, it's not. <laughs> it's not. Yeah. All right. So can you share with us, uh, maybe like, I always ask these, uh, the, this question of, of all my guests, uh, maybe your, your best or your highlight experience throughout this, this journey, either your you know school or professional journey, or maybe your worst, right? Your low point that uh, maybe people can take from, or that, that inspired you to change or, you know, so you can, I'll leave that to you to, to answer how you, you feel, but we're looking to get, you know, a little nugget or something from you, from you on that. <laughs> yes. I have some stories. I, I'm, I'm going to start with the bad and end, and end okay. on a high note. So the, the bad that I will share is in you and I, because you and I are friends and we talk a lot and you may or may not remember, but I, I started and completed two and a half years mm. of a doctoral program. And because of the stress and lack of support, I left that program and knew that. that if I left and ever came and, and went somewhere else or came back that, you know, those years would potentially be gone. 
um, it was a very hard decision, but you, you know, my dad, he's super happy and jolly. And he said, listen, you are doing this with a, a degree and a graduate degree. If, if you come back, you know, you, you still will, you know, have, you still will have the education um, that others mm-hmm. in the country don't have. And that was insights I needed was for like someone older and wiser to tell me, listen, you're not yourself. You are a shell of wow. yourself. You're so stressed out. This is not worth it. And I took a couple years off and a colleague called me one day and was like, you need to really <laughs> come back. She would not say no for an answer. And I told her I'd think about it. And I did research and I found another program that better suited me. And I would not have been able to do this without this program. The other one didn't yeah. work for me. And so a lot of people say, you know, I started this much and wanted to push through for me at that time in my life. And I was, you know, 30, 31 at the time, I couldn't play the foolish, you know, mind games anymore. I wasn't 20, 21, you know, where I could play around and stay up all night. I really needed that. And so I think a lot of people need to hear that sometimes you just need to say no, or I need a semester off or, you know, or sometimes you, you will be kindly asked by your institution to, you know, take some time off. And so I needed that for myself. And so that was a downside. And it took me, I I say my, my grad journey was Hmm. a decade. Most people would not would not commit to that. And I, 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 I remember that distinctively. I mean, we had many conversations about that, and that was a very tough decision uh, for you. But, I, I mean, obviously that it turned out well. But it took courage, right, to be able to say, you know what, this is not fitting, right? The I, I learned something from one of my old bosses, uh, uh, Paul Koff, when I worked at EPA. And I learned that we were just trying to do things. So, you know, it was just we were trying to push – our agendas and and just things weren't working on certain things. And he said, Oh, just, just relax, go where the energy is, right. Go where it flows because if it's not flowing, that just means it's just not right. And it's okay. Like, don't get upset. Just, you know, you got to switch it up, call an audible, call a different play. Uh, and I think that's exactly what you did, right? It just was a, that was such a challenging time too, right? But what you decided to do was step away and probably against the counsel of maybe others, a lot of people who said, eh, that's not a good idea, but you knew what was best. It just wasn't sitting right uh, in you and with you. And so you, you made a move and, and because of that, you know, it turned out all right, right? It turned for the, for the better for you. Yeah. And that goes to my mm-hmm. good point. So my best highlight is I never thought studying instructional design and developing courses for delivery, I never thought a professorship would exist. Mm. I knew we'd always kind of be NIT as support. Even if I had a doctor, you know, I never would have a faculty title. I'd never be able to sit at the table with faculty. And mm. I'll t- I'll, I don't think I shared this with you. Uh, two summers ago, I saw a similar job description come up and I told myself, I'm not ready yet. I'm not going to do it. 365 days later, the same job description appeared. And I said, I'm not going to count myself out a second year. Um, I will submit this application. I had 36 hours to pull together an application. And I should tell you that in California, it's not just a resume and a cover letter. You have to describe your diversity, your equity, you know, how you make sure that even underrepresented and, you know, low-income students can succeed. And it was a heavy application. And I turned it around because I said, I'm not going to count myself out for a professorship in this in this job. And I got called back less than a week later. And then I got interviewed by the president, a Black hmm. woman. If I had gone through and push myself through with that other doctorate, I would have not been where I am today. 
I don't know where I would have been, what I yeah. would have been doing, but but I it was timing. It was it was it was meant to be where it is today, and that's the highlight is that now institutions are recognizing that the expertise in technology, um, the expertise of understanding the student perspective, um, is crucial to have at the table. Um, it, not crucial. Yeah, to right. Murder. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> necessary that's right that you have somebody at the table who can who can ask questions and, and push back because i you know i don't mind up pushing back because a lot of people still are thinking oh no let's go back in person i'm not going to change any way that i've graded no you have if if anybody comes out of this unchanged <laughs> if anybody comes out of this pandemic unchanged doing the same exact things mm. they've been doing before you have not taken you know, stock or maybe you didn't live, right? Maybe you didn't survive it. That's one way too, because I mean, there's just there's no way this this sort of trauma uh, we can we can go unchanged by it. Yeah, uh, that's so good. That's so rich. And I, I just want to celebrate you for a minute. I mean, you really listen to. Uh, I think the the God inside of you, the Holy Spirit, I, you call it what you want, right? That you listen to that, and when you do that, I mean, it just things work out. Like things really do work out in your favor when you are true to yourself, and uh, you you've just always been that. And I I just I'm so proud of you. I want to just celebrate you for a moment. We don't get flowers too much, so I'm going to take it take an opportunity to do that. Uh, we're going to wrap up. I've got one big, one more question, my favorite question. But before we do that, I wanted to just shout out uh, to John and Connie Owens. I know they're listening. <laughs> hey, y'all. This That's my family. We go way back. I love you so much. I love them. Uh, and hello to, to Roderick as well. We want to say hello to him too, uh, to our our, our husband. Uh <laughs> Yes. Okay. In the struggle, yes. So uh, this is my final question. Uh, my favorite, uh, I want to uh, get from you any counsel or advice uh, that you have for other, uh, you know, doctoral students or potential doctoral students or even entrepreneurs or uh, because you got, you're a serial entrepreneur yourself. You've got lots of other things going on. Uh, but any counsel that you have for anybody who's listening who may be, you know, considering going into uh, education or education policy or or thinking of starting business, any, any counsel you got for us? Absolutely. Um, first and foremost, find your community. Mm-hmm. Um, none of us should have to go through these hard um, aspirations, whether it's in, in starting a new job or starting a new community, you know, entrepreneurship or even a degree mm-hmm. alone. There are plenty of groups, you know, I started maybe five years ago, my colleague um, and I started started a Facebook group and now we're, you know, 10,000 strong with, um, it's called Working Folks Guide to a PhD and it's for folks who are working. There are so many people who are not, you know, fully funded in doctoral programs and we, we listened to the community around us and said, why isn't there something like this? Um, and so be open. Um, to what's around you, you know, don't be so tunnel vision that you're missing different opportunities. And like I shared earlier, two years ago, I counted myself out for a position and I said, came around again and I said, I'm not going to count myself out. So even if you feel like you don't have 100% of what a position is asking for, give yourself a shot. Why, why not you? Um, especially, you know, us underrepresented groups, why not you? Why not me? Um, and so find your community and don't count yourself out um, of, of great things that can happen and be. I love that. I, and I think that's, that has, that is part of what has driven me to create this podcast. It's like, you know, I am totally outside of my comfort zone, but I just felt drawn to do it. And I just think we could create spaces for each other. And, 
why not me? Like, if, if, if why, why not me? Uh, what, what's, what's wrong with me? Nothing. Well, a lot, but no, <laughs> it's a lot, but I want, I can still do this, right? Even with all the things that are wrong with me. <laughs> Jennifer Owens, thank you so much for your time. I know how busy your schedule is. So I, I got to tell you, I'm so appreciative of you being here. I'm appreciative of you and your friendship. Gosh, we've been friends now for uh, almost 20 years. Uh, almost 20 years and still going strong thank you so much for for making the time to be here really appreciate it uh and i'm sure the people will uh will gleam a lot from what you've had to say all right friends we'll be right back with our motivational moment hey friends we are back and it's time for our motivational moment this week i want to remind you that it's going to cost you. No matter your dreams or aspirations or goals, to achieve them, things like wealth and love and weight loss and all those things that you put on your vision board, to achieve those dreams and aspirations, it's going to cost you something. You see, Ain't nothing free in this world. Well, except for the love of Jesus. Uh, but even that was bought for in blood, paid for, free and clear. And so, since nothing is free in the world, the question is, what are you willing to give up to get what you say you want? It's got to be paid for. What are you willing to pay? What cost? What thing of value are you willing to to pay towards your dreams and aspirations? Is it sleep? Is it partying? Is it that negative relationship or friendship? Is it the whole life? Is it Friday nights or Saturday nights as you uh, have known them for so many years? Is it the shopping or the trips? Is it your pride? Is it tricking? (laughs) I don't know what it is for you, uh, but I'm just here to tell you that to achieve your dreams and aspirations, it's going to cost you something. You've got to put some skin in the game. Sorry to be the bearer of bad news. But here is the good news. I believe in you. You can do it. The question is, will you? And friends, we each have to answer that question on our own. That's been your motivational moment. I love you with the love of the Lord. We'll be right back to wrap things up. Well, it is a wrap, friends. Thank you so much. This is season one, episode five. Super excited about this great show. Big thanks to my friends, Jennifer Laskin Esquire and the one and only Jennifer D. House Owens for coming by and chatting with us today. Also, big shout out to the one and only Prince for our Voyage vibe today. It is a vibe. 
Uh, you know it is. Join us next week where we'll welcome my friends, Ashley Jones, Esquire, and Chef D. Author. It's going to be an exciting episode. You don't want to miss it. Remember to like, share, and subscribe. Like any voyage, it's always a little bit more fun if you can bring a friend or two along. Uh, remember, we are powered by Apex, where aptitude meets excellence. Come back and see us next week. We'll be right back here. You know where to find us. You can always email us, too, at lawyers at apexgroupdc.com. Until next time, friends, be well. <laughs>